Welcome back to this. Nope. <laughs> Welcome back to Women of AB Polly. <laughs> I haven't even recorded the other one for a while. It's I'm Monday morning. It We're having a morning. <laughs> I'm Deirdre Mitchell McLean. I'm Kathleen Smith. Ah, and it is a Monday morning. <laughs> we've we've gathered this morning to talk about something that is it's one of those hurdles, I think, that uh, women and men, but women as adults looking at, you know, career changes. We talked about that last week with Emma May and Monique McDonald. And I mean, why not go back a little further and talk about, hey, sometimes you have to retrain or add education or, you know, and, and what does that look like from the adulting woman perspective? <laughs> And perhaps also the mothering perspective. And now we get to add, of course, pandemic perspective. Yay! <laughs> May we live in interesting times. Always. <laughs> and so we have two guests with us today. So Angie Niklicek, she's from Lethbridge, and she is currently pursuing her degree at the University of Lethbridge. And from Edmonton, we have Bridget Sterling, who is currently working on her PhD at the University of Alberta. Good morning. Good morning. Angie, you are, you're kind of pushing at the moment <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a pandemic uh, for your degree. And how's, how's that going? Um, not <laughs> as easily as I would, had really hoped. Um, did you, start, you started before the pandemic, though, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. I started in, I want to say, 2016-ish, doing a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and a Bachelor of um, Science in Computer Science. Um, well, that's not what I started as, but, I mean, that's what I'm currently, that's the current trajectory anyway. <laughs> um, so there's been all kinds of, of things kind of getting in the way and, yeah, then COVID started and they had, you know, there was so much uncertainty and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to leave the whole class part of it and I'm just working on the research portion of my degree. That, that's okay. that's where I'm sitting. Okay. And how about you, Bridget? Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a bumpy ride. Um, doing, doing a PhD during a pandemic is, um, you know, it's, it's a whole other level and a couple of my fellow students and I have been joking about being plague doctors, um, which is, uh, but no, it's, um, it's, it's been tough. And um, I think post-secondary institutions have struggled with how to support students um, for people who are um, working on, on graduate degrees. It's um, for some people, especially less so perhaps for, for what I do, but for some people it's really disrupted even their ability to conduct their research. Um, oh, of course. You know, with the inability to travel, to meet with people, to do those things, it's um, it's created huge disruption for for I think all kinds of students. And on top of the usual stress of of going to school, right? It's never a low stress experience. So yeah, it's been it's been an adventure. Mm -hmm. And when did you start your PhD? I started in 2017. Okay, so um, a couple of years in before this as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was through my coursework um, and into um, working towards my um, candidacy exams. Okay. And so I'm kind of at that stage, which is a bit of a slog as a stage in uh, in a doctoral program. But um, 
Yeah, and it, it hasn't been the only bump in the road along the way. Um, but I'm glad it came at this point for me, though, and not during the coursework period. I think right. um, doing courses online in particular, um, you know, seminar type courses is really challenging. Mm -hmm. So we are also, of course, going to talk about the whole adulting part of being a student again. Um, and Kathleen, so yes. you were saying that you did it too. And I'm just curious, he did really quick. Do you think how impossible would it have been to do what you did had there been a pandemic? Oh, I wouldn't have done it. Okay. I, I was, <laughs> just, uh, no. <laughs> no, I just wouldn't have done it. I was uh, a single mom, 22 years old and knew I need, needed some sort of education to support myself and my son. So I took out a student loan and went to hairdressing school <laughs> Which didn't end well for me oh. at all. <laughs> Needless to say, I never worked a single day as a hairdresser. Oh, <laughs> it just didn't happen. Okay. Uh, but I, I cannot imagine doing that during a pandemic because a lot of hairdressing school is just being out on the salon floor right. for walk-ins. And okay. I feel for people in the service industry right now, especially because of the pandemic, because they're already low wage earners who have no choice but to work. Right. And yet they're going to be at the highest risk of contracting COVID. So yeah, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I would have waited till the end of pandemic and how, how lovely that I would have had that option. Right. I mean, there's, there's far too many students uh, who, who don't have the option to just quit and decide to do something else because there's a virus out there. Right. Yeah. That's actually probably another level on individuals who were currently working on their programs is that what, you know, if you do take a year off, my daughter did. Uh, so she graduated grade 12 last year and she said she had absolutely no interest in going to school on online and so she's taking mm -hmm. this year off and I get it right I wouldn't have I don't think I would have made that choice either but when you're in the middle of it Angie <laughs> yeah and that's I, I, I can't afford to wait um I mean, I know this might sound like a bit of panic, but um, I'm turning 40 this year. Um, and if I don't get finished and get a career going soon, there's going to be zero point in me doing any of it because people are not going to hire you if you're five ways, like if you're five years away from retirement, they're just not like yeah. they want some, they want to hire somebody that that's going to be with them for, you know, 10 or 20 years or whatever yeah um even if that's happening less now that's still the goal when they hire they're not going to hire you permanently on this idea that oh well you know that'd be great she can work here for two years and then retire yeah. um <laughs> you know the other problem is i mean i work in computer science and i mean i even had a academic tell me that you know you you're too old you're you're a woman and you're too old ouch like, don't like like go into something else yeah that that's that's just <laughs> shocking to and me you're happens. too old it, yeah i'm too old that they're hiring you know kids that are you know why shouldn't say kids but i mean you know in their 20s yeah it's that they're, whole image that it's fresh and new and you know they're they're 
creative thinkers and stuff. And I apparently sometime after 30, that ends. I'm not sure when, but it's sometime <laughs> after 30 that that supposedly ends. But yeah, you know, I remember I it, it, for me, it was 36 and I'm pretty sure Friday night on White Ave. I can pinpoint the exact moment <laughs> <laughs> that, that you were that you were no longer young, <laughs> that it just wasn't happening anymore, that I was out of fresh ideas. Um, yeah. Well, the thing, and I will say about computer science, uh, especially, or, or uh, no, I think it's in it's in coding that they say that that there's it's a it's a short career in that yeah. particular portion of it. And the thing, you know, that that short career exists whether you're 20 or 40 when you graduate. It's yeah. it's not something that people can do for 40 years. So, no. I mean just you know that's my I mean thankfully that. <laughs> I mean I mean thankfully I'm not going into the traditional computer science jobs right so that that should help you know delay some of it but I mean still I mean five six years for for bachelor's degrees and then master's degrees and PhDs and 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 you probably don't want to hear me say this but I mean that's a long time and a lot of work yeah <laughs> for you know by like the time <laughs> Yeah, you know, like everybody kept saying to me, "Well, just take one or two courses every every year." I was like, "You have so any I graduated idea. twenty years instead of seven? Like <laughs> exactly, exactly." And I mean, what do I do? Like, it's enough. Like when I sat down and I decided to go to school, I'm like, "Okay, you know what? I can sacrifice for this many years. I can work and go to school and look after, you know, family, kids, whatever." I'm willing to pack those years in now while I'm younger mm-hmm. on the idea that I know that there's an end date coming. Yeah. But if I have to, you know, like they kept saying, oh, well, you know, just take one or two. Well, if, if I, if I'm going to drag this out for 40 years, it is just going to, it's never going to end. I'm never That's going right. to be able to be that person that can graduate, get a job, work, come home and actually enjoy things. I mean, not that I don't enjoy oh, my degree. Yeah. I love, I love going to school and I love my degree, but I would really like to make more than minimum wage at some point. Like, especially after that much of an investment, it's not just a financial investment. It's a life investment, right? How much of your life do you sacrifice to get that degree? How much of your, of the emotional labor part of life ends up going into your education to get that degree? And so to stretch it out for 40 years, it seems, uh, well, counterproductive in the least, right? What are you doing it for at that point beyond being a professional student? But wait, Bridget's going to tell us what's good about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've gone back and forth through much of my adult life. Um, I didn't, um, um, I didn't actually finish my first degree until... Uh, I guess I graduated in 2006, so I was just shy of 29 uh, at my at my convocation for my first degree. Um, it took some time in between. My um, my mother got really sick during my first degree, and we can talk about family bumps in the road uh, mm-hmm. during education. But um, just after I started my undergraduate degree, she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, with uh, terminal brain cancer, oh, okay. um, and so we. Um, yeah, so and, and initially I thought I would, she lived in Calgary and I thought about dropping out um, and going 
to care for her. And she said, don't you dare. She was so proud that I'd finally gone back. Um, and she refused to have me give that up to, for her, right? She's right. like, no, you need to keep doing it because that's my hope for you, right? So I finished my undergraduate degree. She was still with us. She was, um, it was a, a slower type of tumor, not sort of the Gord, you know, when you think about Gord Downey's tumor, mm-hmm. um, glioblastomas can be really quick, but she had a, what's called an oligodendroglioma, which is a slower type of brain cancer. Um, so she was, she was still sick. And I decided that it was, I had wanted to do a master's degree, but I decided it wasn't time while I was still dealing with that too. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we had some, some good time in there and then, um, yeah. And then I went back to do my master's uh, in 2009. So I would have been 32, um, started that had some other bumps in the road in the middle, had to take a leave of absence in the middle of my master's degree. Um, and had these several are options. in the family took, took absence. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, had to go and care for, care for other people in my life. Um, so I, it actually took me six years to finish my master's degree with the leave of absence, wow. went back in and finished it in 2015. Um, and then so you were just... still willing to sign up again. Like that's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I started my PhD in 2017. Um, I started my PhD in the same at the same time as I was running for office uh, in a re-election campaign for the school board. Um, if I can make any recommendation to any student, don't do don't that. Do that. <laughs> don't do that. That's a terrible what? idea. What I don't were you know thinking? That was going to be fine. <laughs> but, I've, but I've worked all the way through, right? Like I, I've never just been in school. Every single, even when I was doing my undergraduate degree full time, I was working part time and working in the summers. Um, and then through my mouth, I've, I've always had another job and grad school, especially when you also work is, is challenging, but um, it's a lot just meeting, for, both pieces moving. Just for our, our audience's reference, Bridget, what are your degrees in and what are you working towards? So my undergraduate degree, I have a Bachelor of Applied Communications and Professional Writing from McEwen. That's now the Bachelor of Communication Studies program. Um, my um, master's is in intercultural and international communication. Uh, it's from Royal Roads University. And now I'm working on a PhD in educational policy studies from the University of Alberta. So. My goodness. And Angie, your current degrees and what are you working towards? I'm doing a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, Bachelor of uh, Science in Computer Science. So. Um, my specialty is human-computer interaction and um, how Alzheimer's and um, autism individuals interact with technology and how... This, this is heavy course loads you're taking then. This, yeah. this isn't minor, minor uh, multiple choice kind of stuff, is it? <laughs> no, no, it isn't. And then I have this problem. I'm a bit of a philomath. I, I, um, I'll go and some, you know, one of the profs will say, oh, I'm going to have this course next year. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to take that. It has nothing to do with my degree, but it's really cool. So I'm going to take that. So yeah, I, I have a habit of increasing my workload. Right. <laughs> the struggle of being a curious person. Oh, for sure. That's actually one of the reasons I did my undergraduate degree in writing is that um, being a writer allows you to go out and find about find out about the world and write about it and it's if you're a perpetually curious person it's a good it's a good way to be and it's also why 
grad school has been great because I love the way that doing research allows you to follow those those questions and those curiosities. Yeah, well, for me, it was, um, for me, I mean, I've ran my own business since 2006. Um, and what happened was basically a few things happened that I kind of got screwed because I didn't have a degree. So I was like, okay, screw it. So I went back to working like regular jobs and went back to school. And I started with my marketing degree and I started doing that for a while. And I was like, you know what, this is, this is not, this is, this is torture. Like this is not, I wasn't happy with the courses. It's, I mean, it's not that there's anything wrong with the school itself. It's just that I'd had already been in the industry for so long for me to turn around now and to go back to learning the basics was just like, no, you know, this isn't working for me. This isn't what I want. And while I was taking my undergraduate degree, I'd taken some psych courses and I was totally, I was like, this is so cool. You know, and (laughs) we had a, we had a psychology 101 introductory course and they had a series, the course was set up and it had a set of experiments and, and research in each section and a lot of it aligned with what I was already doing. Cause on the side, um, years ago, I, I, a friend of, I was sitting with a friend of mine and her two sons are autistic. And, um, we were sitting having coffee one day and all of a sudden she just burst into tears and she's like, you know what? She's like, what do I do? She's like, they can't, she's like, they're not dumb kids, but they can't live on their own. They have to have somebody to watch them. She's like, what's going to happen if something happens to me and I can't, look after them anymore and so I kind of started working on this whole software concept of you know like how could what could I do that would enable these these guys like these kids to to live on their own so when this whole psychology thing came up I was like you know what I bet you this stuff would make this original project so much better and I started (laughs) digging into it and then the next thing you know I, I switched and I was taking marketing and minoring in psychology and then I got a C on my accounting and I really hated accounting so I was like you know what screw it and I dropped the marketing degree completely and I picked up the computer science and and so it's just been kind of like this this evolution where I I was positive I knew what I wanted I was like you know what I'm gonna go get this marketing degree and then I have the degree to back up my experience done deal and I got into it and it turned into something completely different. I think that's very indicative of of the era that we live in too, that, you know, that it wasn't so long ago, you, you finished high school, you decided what you were going to do. You went and got your trade or you got your post-secondary education slash degree. And that was it for the rest of your life, whether you liked it or not. And now we're living in a time when people are far more willing to say, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't like it. I'm doing something else. I think that we can also link that to uh, the independence of women now, because we really didn't have that option before. It was, you know, finish high school. If you're not married and having kids right away, go to college to get your MRS degree. (laughs) And we don't see that happening so much anymore as women put off childbirth and really do focus on getting their education. So I'm wondering if the two of you have seen that amongst your peer groups or shall we say schoolmates, which is an odd term to use, but (laughs) have you seen this same 
uh, sort of evolution happening happening amongst some of the women in your social and educational circles? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still don't have children. Um, I'm in my 40s. So that's, that's, a, that's a thing that's probably not on the plan at this point. And it's, it's, yeah. Um, and it's interesting, because for people who know what my job is, I'm a school board trustee. And I like to remind people, you don't have to have children to care about children. Absolutely. Um, but I see lots of lots of women like me who, um, like in my peer group, who who did they put off their having their kids until their thirties, often their late twenties or into their thirties. Um, some even in their early forties because they they've sort of done they did their education and um, um, and their you know early career first waited until they were established and had their feet under them in terms of their professional lives and then went to school but I know a lot of women who've done it the other way too or who are going back for that second second career it's very normal I'm doing my PhD in in the faculty of education Um, the average age of a PhD student in education is 40. My goodness it's very normal so education is one of the rare academic fields where people do go back and forth like that. And so yeah. um, it's much more common along among my fellow doctoral students to be juggling those um, those pieces of their lives along with going to school. But even doing my undergrad at McEwen, um, it's a place where you see a lot more uh, compared to, to the University of Alberta at a place like McEwen, you do see a much more um, sort of diverse group of students often who are people who may be doing parenting who are a little bit older who are doing those things but yeah lots of women are now they're they're going to university right out of school uh, but what's interesting is that the average age of a university grad is still a little bit older a lot of people I think go that first time mm-hmm. they don't they either change part way through and it's really normal to change or they they stop for a while they figure out what they need and then they come back to school because I think we ask a lot of someone to make a decision at 18 about who they're going oh. to the rest of their life oh like we even do it with, you know, marriage and love interests in that you make a decision in your twenties and stick with it for the rest of your life. Right. <laughs> Cause nothing's going to change in that. Nothing. You're not going to change at all. No, it's fine. Women, especially we just yeah. stay the same for the rest of our lives. Right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And Angie, are you seeing that amongst your peers at all? I mean, you're in a field that is traditionally uh, male-dominated and young male-dominated. Young male-dominated. It's still very, my classes are mostly male. Um, The females or female identifying that are in the class are young, very young. (laughs) Um, On the psychology side of things, it's a lot of, it's actually, it's getting older. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers in the last couple of years, but I know that the student body here, that there's more and more adults that are coming back um, or they're finishing up or they're just taking. um, I I noticed a lot of older students, like I want to say retired plus that are coming back and they're just taking, you know, the odd courses just, I, just for interest sake, yeah. which I what thought a was fabulous kind of thing. What a fabulous thing that is. I, I was thrilled by it. And they're really, I, they actually became some of my favorite like students in the classes that I was in because they're so excited to be there and they're really passionate and they look at it from a very different, like I always see things differently from everybody else. I'm always kind of weird and kind of out there. 
but but they have another totally different you know realm of, of looking at things that I had never you know I would never think of that stuff ever um so it I think it's made the the actual classroom experience much much better um compared to the first time I went to university and we're all like you know 18 19 years old and you know either just got out of our parents basement or <laughs> you know it, or, or it's it's seen you know your education is kind of like this obstacle you have to get around just get on with the rest of your life that I think that is you've really hit on it there is that when you're younger all too often it really is something you have to get through and get over and if you're older and have the chance to um, engage in adult learning then you're doing it for the passion and for the curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. And that's going to make a huge difference in your approach to that education and to the learning process. So my mom went back. She went back when I was in about grade four, I think, uh, to do her journeyman's in um, uh, heavy duty partsman. And so she had, so I saw that. And then also when I went to university the first time, when I was about 19, uh, I was actually in a class with two, two women, one of whom had, I think, two children. And she was kind of embarking on a career. Uh, and the other one had been a, I don't know, she was an oil and gas executive. She was like some engineering background. Uh, her husband, actually, because she made more money, he was the one who had stayed home with the kids. And she decided, I'm going to be a sociologist now. And so she was in my class as well. So I actually had, well, you know, three specific people that I can point to and say, it can be done later in life, mm -hmm. which is you know, why I stopped and didn't go back for 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I was a teen, my mother uh, went back to school to become a licensed dental assistant. I think I was 17, 18 years old. She took her first year through SATE via correspondence. And back then we didn't have internet kids. Right. <laughs> so it really was correspondence <laughs> learning. And then she did her second year at the local community college, Fraser. Well, now it's Fraser Valley University. But back then it was Fraser Valley College in British Columbia and, and uh, finished her course. And it took her a, a full two years. And uh, she was my mother was very young. So I don't even think she was 40 yet by the time she had finished, but she, she already had three kids and had had several different, um, I wouldn't call it careers, I'd say job paths mm -hmm. prior to that time before she made that decision. And it worked out very well for her. But I do remember as a teen um, watching her struggle to balance the requirements of her education, the requirements of family life, and of course, the requirements of her religion, which was an additional burden on her because of the, the service to the church and what uh, her church required of the women as part of home life. So I watched her struggle to, to balance all of that. And it's not an easy path, it, I think, especially for women. It's not an easy path because our other life responsibilities don't wait. 
for us to get our education. Yeah, no, my, my mother did something similar. Um, there were three of us kids. Um, I would have been in my teens when she did it. I think about like 14 or 15. I'm trying to remember exactly, but she, um, she went back, she had, um, an undergraduate degree in, um, she double majored in psychology and physical geography. <laughs> um, had, okay. yeah, she was she, very smart, very nerdy woman. Uh, people sometimes say, oh, you get, they, they meet my dad and they say, oh, you must get your brains from your dad. And they say, oh, you never met my mother. <laughs> um, she was so smart. Uh, but she, um, she had worked, um, in a research library at UBC and then had, um, hey, come when my parents moved to Alberta, uh, moved back to Alberta. Um, she, um, she ended up working for Canada Customs and worked for Canada Customs, uh, now Customs and Border Services for the rest of her career, but um, went back and made career, did her, um, her CMA. Would have, the designation I know has changed, but that's what she did at the time. Um, so that she could she could advance right because she kind of hit that level in the public service where she needed more than an undergraduate degree to kind of move into leadership roles and so she did that and that was hugely hard right but I remember as a teenager also chipping in and helping out a ton with you know learn to you know like making family meals doing stuff like that because it was it was part of what you needed to do to help to help her get ahead but the thing that I always felt sad about is she had always wanted to actually go and do her master's in um, library sciences and become a, a professional librarian. She loved libraries, but um, I think she decided, and it was a, a bone of contention, I think, between her and my dad, but the decision was that it was not the best choice for the family. professional advancement in career and, and making money. And, and so she, she made the decision to do her CMA instead. And so that was always a regret she had was that she didn't get to follow that path so mm -hmm. see my grandmother recently told me that that she had an office job waiting for her at the bay once she finished secretarial school and grandpa convinced or didn't want her to do it so she didn't so for the rest of well not the rest of her life but a good portion of it she worked retail. So she was, I think she was at the Bay for 25 years or so. Like she did open up her own business at one point, um, retail, of course, but so she did, she did kind of move, but I, but yeah, she just mentioned this recently and she was like, what an asshole. Yeah. I, I think we too often assume that women of that generation and, you know, for dear, for Deirdre and for me, it really is an older generation my grandparents lived through the great depression <laughs> they actually experienced it firsthand i think we too often assume that that those women were quite fine with either just being at home or having pin money jobs it's an assumption we make based and on that's the what era Nana's work was the that, work paid for vacations and stuff and the exactly you know, I, I'm very lucky in that I come from a family where both of my grandmothers worked and both of them had careers, which is pretty remarkable given I'm, I'm 53 years old and both of my grandmothers were career women. My, my Ontario grandma worked for uh, the airport in Ontario 
And my maternal grandmother was a clerk for RCMP K division right here in Edmonton and actually started out in their cafeteria cooking food. And by the time she retired was a clerk without any sort of post-secondary education, just worked hard and, and worked her way up. And then of course my, my mother worked uh, and my father was not only supportive of that, but probably would have liked it if she worked more. <laughs> just okay, that w- because to... our family was that way. Yeah. And, and I have to ask though, because, oh, sorry, sorry, Bridget, but I just, <laughs> I really want to know because, so what I'm in my, I'm in my forties now. I just found out that my grandfather had told my grandmother not to take that course. So I'm just curious whether or not, you know, like was, was there support or was there? Oh, absolutely. On both sides of the family. My, my father's side of the family are Southern Alberta rural and work is life. Oh, yes. You, you are working. You are, it's not that you are your job for that part of the family. It's that the work you do, regardless of what that work is, matters. It has oh. purpose. And women need that purpose just as much as men do. That was my father's side. My mother's side of the family are Southern Alberta rural. And a lot of that same attitude, right? We work. That's mm-hmm. what we do. And so there was not only support, there was encouragement. I had my first job when I was 13 years old, cleaning a dentist's office. And there was great pride in that. When I worked in a shoe store, there was great family pride in that. When I slung burgers at Wendy's, it was never about the job itself. It was about, do you do it well? And do you put yourself into it? Now there's good sides. There's good points to that. And there's bad points to that. I mean, I don't think anybody should be uh, busting their ass for a minimum wage job. I don't think their worth should come from that, but I do think there's self-worth in work. Right. A great dichotomy, right? So there was always support uh, in our family for work. There was not that much support for higher education because that was the playground of elitists. It's so. You talk about Southern Alberta. That's where my dad's family's from too. Um, but my nana came from my dad's mom came from Scotland as a as a war bride, and my grandfather was a teacher, um, and and went all the way through his teaching career and had to go back to school multiple times because he started when it was normal school to become a teacher. Um, oh. My grandparents on my dad's side, actually both my sets of grandparents were a bit older. So they would be uh, the similar generation to yours, Kathleen, not much different. Yeah. Um, it's long, longer generations, um, I think. Um, but we had, um, but my, my Nana worked. Um, she had gone to university in Scotland. It was unusual for women to do so in that generation, mm-hmm. but she had, she's the daughter of a very wealthy Scottish lawyer, <laughs> came to Canada um, the first place they, they lived was in uh, Fairview. That's where my grandfather was teaching after the war. They met yeah, up north? North. They yeah. met on a, a radar station and he got a teaching job up north. Yeah, it's where um, uh, both Rachel Notley and Jordan Peterson are from. <laughs> it's up there. Okay. Uh, 
but she how does how does it place I know like, I know how does that happen yeah but then they they ended up in southern Alberta um, my grandfather was originally from High River uh, but they ended up um, lived in Fort McLeod for many many years and in Oktos but my grandmother worked um, she worked um, you know sometimes as a her different job, she worked at a hospital, but she also wrote for the local papers. She was a, a journalist. She worked for the paper. Um, she was a writer, right? But she never stopped working. Um, whereas my mom's mom had been a nurse in Britain during the war. And that was an era where they were nursing sisters, right? They weren't nuns, but they were nursing sisters. And once you got married, you stopped being a nurse. Right. Of course, this was not married women. <clears throat> she had ended up having six children, never had a a full-time job again and always told all the girls in the family never, never had a pain never... full-time job again yeah exactly <laughs> she she always told all of us don't you ever your education is the one thing no one can ever take away from you don't you ever don't you ever depend on your husband to take care of everything yeah. for you even though she had a happy marriage and a long you know they were married their whole lives they were very well you know they did very well for themselves um but she just she was really insistent she was really insistent. She, and I think she, I think there was, she never outright said it, but I think there was that same kind of regret that she had not, you know, and she wanted all, she had five girls, one boy, and every single one of her daughters, she wanted to see go to university, have a future, have that success. Right. Well, uh, it's about owning our own lives too. Yeah. I think and it, it, post-secondary education, especially for women is about not only not being dependent on uh, a partner for the rest of your life, but actually controlling your own life, right? That's, that's possibly the greatest gift that education gives women is not being at the mercy of a, a culture and a society that is dominated by men and always has been. If you can provide for yourself, you're far less easy to control. Now, I wonder too, if you know, because since I did start at 19 or whatever, and I actually ended up taking exactly the same thing that I started when I was 19. So I had a sociology major um, and I was taking philosophy classes. I, I was, and that's what I went back and did. So strange, um, but I wonder too, because when I went back, I think I was 30, I just figured this out last night so I would know it. Anyway, so I was like 32, 33, something like that. And when I went back the second time, a couple of things. The first time I was there at 19, I felt really old. And I don't know why. Yeah, at 19. Yeah, we were all the same age, but I felt really old. I, I felt like half the people in my class were 12, right? Like, and, and maybe. I mean, it wasn't really a, a super male dominated courses, right? So I like, I don't know why, but I just didn't feel like I fit in. And when I went back in my thirties, also pregnant with my fourth child, um, when I went back then, I did not, I didn't feel out of place at all, which is really weird to me because I mean, at that point, like I, <laughs> So I told Andy. Everyone really was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) It was a baby. I was at a, like, like I was at one of my classmates because the classes, as you, as you go further into your, your years, right, your classes get smaller. 
um, and you get kind of closer. And these are people you've been with for two, three years or whatever. And we were at, uh, we were at one of my classmates' birthday parties, you know, and I'm in the kitchen and his dad's there and his sister's there. And, you know, there's other people and, and we're all hanging out. And somebody made a comment about Jordan being, it was his 21st birthday. And I'm like, he's not 21. <laughs> and they're like, his dad's like, yeah, he is. And I'm like, oh, dear God, give me some more blue stuff. Like it was, I was just like, I feel so, but it, it didn't, I never thought of it. Yet I could not think of anything else the first time I was there. And so that's when I was going to push it to you, Angie, because like, what is, you know, what is, what is it like? And because you did too, you went when you were younger, like, how do you yeah. feel about it now? Um, or do I, you I mean, I've, I've obviously had a really different experience from you guys, because I mean, in my family, women don't do that kind of thing. Um, oh, and my. they still don't. And they still don't. I'm the only one in my family that's graduated. I'm the only one in my family that's, that's gone to university. Um, it's not a popular choice, um, to put that mildly. Um, oh it my. has caused there, there's a lot of pressure that direction. Um, but I, I mean, when I went the first time I, I was, I was young, I was right out of high school. I had a full scholarship. I was doing a music performance degree. Um, and I was actually, I was performing and working more than I was in school, but I made the mistake that I got married just before I left. Um, so that worked for a little while. And it, after a while, he was like, you need to come home. You need to be a wife. You need to be a mother and you can't be a wife and mother if you're gone all the time. And oh, he, says, Lord. he said to me, he said, when you're home. He said, you're working all the time. You're doing homework. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I was in Regina on Wednesday and Toronto on Thursday. Like, you know, I had classes this whole time. So I didn't get to any of my classes. So now, you know, it's the weekend. I need to do all of the week's work and, you know, get ready for next week. And it went on for a while. And after, after a bit, I was like, okay, fine. You know what? I, I just, I quit. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't juggle those two things. So I quit going to school and I moved back like with him to be a, a wife and a mother and, you know, had kids and stuff. And I tried going to school a few times after that. And it, it was like, every time I wanted to go to school, there was something that was more important. There was some reason why I couldn't go back. So uh, when I got divorced this time and my kids all moved out and I mean, they're all, you know, they're all adults now. They're all living on their own. I was like, you know, now if I'm going to do something, now is the time to do it. And so I, I went back this time and, and now I feel like, I mean, I love my, my, I have, I joined a lab, so I'm really close with a lot of my, my classmates and I really value that. Um, partly because some of them are my age and single and have never had kids and you know they're they've just been going to school and and I get a lot of value from that but also because some of them are younger and it, I don't they get you you get so focused on working and this is the way life is and it's nice to kind of get that little bit of perspective that just because life has been this way to this point 
doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it has to be that way. Like the, you know, like the, they think way different and they're just like, you know, this is so cool. And it kind of, I, I don't want to say it makes you feel young, but I mean, it basically, I that's feel young. Um, the other thing is, is that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in this really weird place because I have enough experience work-wise and personal-wise and, and education-wise that I'm, I'm not really a student. I, I'm, I'm kind of beyond that in a way, but I'm not a prof either. So I'm kind of sitting between the two worlds and that kind of makes me feel kind of the odd man out, which is fine. Cause I'm, I mean, I'm kind of accustomed to that now. I mean, <laughs> at this point, I mean, I've been weird my whole life. Why change now? <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's made it really easy for me because I'm, I'm, a, I'm smarter now, you know, mm -hmm. like um, I can see my profs as my equals. So, you know, I can say to them, hey, look, I've been researching this and here's kind of what I think is going on, but I'm not sure. Do you mind? Like, can we go for coffee and, and discuss it? Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Like that's that's acceptable. And and it's nice because we can talk about those topics or they'll say to me, hey, look, you know, I was digging into this and I found this. What do you think about this? And and I can talk to them and they have that. Not that I'm educated enough, but that they have enough respect for me to value that opinion and to ask. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't think that would happen if I was 18 years old. So Angie, you mentioned that in your family specifically, there's pressure to not go to school. That oh, that's, absolutely. That that's not a, a common life path for, for women in your family. So I'm wondering, uh, have you given thought to how you are sort of breaking that, that family history for your own children as well by returning to school? How, how do your adult children view you're going um, back to school there it's no big deal it's nothing unusual for them I think because my kids grew up um, outside of rural Saskatchewan so and rural Alberta so, or, and rural Manitoba so they they lived in the city for them it's it's nothing unusual like mm -hmm. it, it's no big I mean my son bugs me all the time he's like you know mommy's like I might graduate before you do you know like <laughs> he'll tease me back and forth about it but I mean for him it's it's nothing unusual if I go backwards like if I talk to aunts uncles parents siblings that kind of thing that mm -hmm. is a totally that is almost I'm almost like it's it's almost like you know they'll say you know they're almost ashamed of it I guess my goodness. Um, it's something that they they very much hide because it's like, oh, well, you know, she doesn't have her life together. You know, she's she's getting her shit together kind of attitude when they talk to other people. Kathleen. So I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> sorry. The, the people <laughs> listening jaws dropping and I just want to make sure she doesn't hurt herself. Don't know that we're we're all looking at each other on yeah. Zoom right now, but my chin just dropped down to the bottom of my microphone because I can't I I can't wrap my head around that, that here you are uh, going to school and getting degrees and you've raised your children and now you're doing for you and that somehow this is something to be ashamed of. That's unfathomable to me. And it's, and it's not just family. It's, you know, other people in the communities. I had a, my lawyer, my divorce lawyer was like, well, you know, you're just going to have to 
be responsible. You have adult responsibility and you make choices. So you need to finish your school. You need to look after your kids first. And after you no longer have those responsibilities, then you can, you can do this other stuff. I mean, it's not funny, but it's funny because it's 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Where does that come from? (laughs) That's why I'm like listening to you guys going, where in the hell was this in my life? I mean, how dare you be so irresponsible? to get an education for the sake of your own future and that of your children. Because now, see, I should qualify though. Like I've, I've said that on both sides of my family, the women worked and you should go to work kind of thing. But I, I do have to say my own parents were, they had a list of what was acceptable work, work yeah. oh, that yes. they would okay. support. So yes. while there was encouragement to go to work, that there was, you know, be a nurse, be a teacher, be a, uh, a care provider of some kind or another. When I said I wanted to go to theater arts, oh, no, 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 no. First of all, you're going to be around all those weirdo artistic people and we can't have that. And we're not paying for you to go to school and play, which is how they saw it. Right. So while the encouragement was there to definitely work and to have what education was required to do that job, the job list was pretty short. Yeah. See, I got around that because I actually, like I started, my music career started, I was playing professionally like for money when I was like 15. So, I mean, even when I was at home, they could see that, okay, well, you know, most people don't make money with music, but she actually is. Like I was actually making really good money by the time I quit. I was, I was doing decently and I was traveling internationally. Like I had traveled, um, I did a tour of Europe in 94. So I mean, I was, I was 14. So that's amazing. That's like great for you. That's amazing. Yeah. But because, because they didn't have to, I didn't have to make that connection. That was, that was okay. Do you know what I mean? Because I didn't have to prove to them that it's a valuable career. Um, What I'm doing now, I haven't made money with my actual degree. I'm still, you know, like I'm still running my business. I work on contract. For them, there's no connection between the degree and money. So therefore, it's not valid and it's not valid until I make it valid. And, you know, that's really indicative of a lot of... uh a lot of education, right? We do see this attitude. Oh, you're getting a philosophy degree. Well, what good is that going to do you? Oh, you're, and I was specifically asked that when I was in school, people I worked with, why, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. You're getting a degree in art history. My, my husband's a lawyer, a successful lawyer. He took art history. Great. (laughs) But we really do even now with post-secondary education, we we try to break it down to where we put a lifetime potential on everything. We unfortunately are still trapped in this idea that post-secondary education is, is, on, is only as good as the lifetime financial return on that education. And we end up, I think we end up stifling what could be some amazing careers because we are too focused 
on what is the return on investment of this course you're taking in university? Well, maybe the return on investment is this course that I just took out of curiosity changed my entire education path, which changed my career path. And now I'm happy and accomplishing great things. We don't allow for that evolution to happen. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think it's difficult for women to allow that evolution to happen if you are trying to balance the requirements of your education with your family and possibly a job that you're working to, right? Yeah. The education becomes very task oriented, get it done, get it done, slog through, get finished so I can get a better job instead of taking some joy from that process. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's how we define our success, though. I mean, like you think about, you know, the, the gender wage gap, for example, that's a big thing for women. Yeah. Huge thing. And it's, and it's, yeah, I mean, I understand why it's a huge thing, because it sucks when you're working the same job as somebody else, and you're getting paid less, or you can't access the, the better paid jobs, because they don't give those to women. I understand that. But I think I don't think women just look at it that way. We look at it as, am I making more money than so-and-so? Am I more successful than so-and-so? And is it okay? Like, do I have to be, do I have to climb the ladder? If I like, even if I like my job, do I have to climb the ladder? Because that's what makes me successful. Not because that's what I want. I mean, I'm happy as long as my bills are paid and, and I enjoy my job because I don't want to make myself go to a job I hate every day. That That's my <laughs> big thing. But it's very much like even when I was married, it's who's making more money, who's more successful, who has the bigger job title. It was not, are you happy and do you enjoy your job? That's That's heartbreaking to me because I think that's too much of life already. And we accept it as the norm, right? get up and do the daily grind. And uh, maybe when we're 60, we'll retire early. (laughs) And there needs to be more than that. And and especially, I think, uh, because the burden on women at, at home is still far greater than it is on men, it just becomes a double job. And where are you finding the joy in your life? Where are you, uh, acquiescing to your curiosity where are you chasing your passions if everything is just about working for the weekend mm-hmm. and I'm gonna education policy nerd a second here um because that's what I do that's awesome we like <laughs> um, it but I want to I want to talk about how this connects to approaches to post-secondary funding and political decisions around post-secondary institutions right so we see, and it's it's not only in Alberta, although you're seeing a push in that direction in Alberta, but you see it internationally as a push towards post-secondary education as purely instrumental, mm-hmm. as being oriented towards jobs, as outcomes measured, being measured in things like um, graduates' income levels, um, time to completion, uh, a whole bunch of things that if you look at it and you look at women's lives, actually are going to affect women's ability in particular to access post-secondary education, right? So we know that professions that are um, dominated by women tend to be lower paid, right? You mm-hmm. look at, um, you know, the, those, um, so those outcomes are going to affect those programs that women most predominantly are in mm-hmm. are also the ones that are resulting in lower pay levels at the end of them. Um, women, because they are often juggling these multiple lives, whether it's parenting, Um, caregiving, which is, you know, so common or that sandwich experience, right? Women take, 
you know, may need to take longer to complete that degree. There are so many reasons that these decisions, these policy decisions, which first of all, I mean, I think viewing post-secondary education as only being for creating jobs is, you know, is sort of missing a big piece of what post-secondary education is about, but then also thinking about how disproportionately that affects women who are choosing to pursue that education, as well mm-hmm. as other people who um, may experience barriers to, to post-secondary education, right? If you need to work to pay for school, you may not be able to take a full five courses, right? You might still be taking technically <laughs> a full-time course load, but you might be taking three or four. It's going to take you longer and then if your funding is affected by that, then your costs are also going up for access to education and those programs are seeing funding cuts, right? It, it sort of snowballs. And so you can see how like that political sort of conversation about post-secondary education actually has a very real impact on women's ability to access education, okay. which long term is gonna only widen that wage gap, right? And make it more challenging for women to have a better future for themselves um, yeah. and for the people they care about. Well, and I know, like, when I had gone through, so I kind of laughed a little bit when you said they may not be able to take five classes at a time. No shit. (laughs) Like, I had, so I had three children already. They were eight, well, they were eight, seven, and four. So when I had my fourth, and that was in March of my first year back, um, I made it through. I had my grandmother came and stayed with me and she kicked me back to to school the week after I had a baby. Um, And like I had one of my profs was from Malaysia and he said, oh, he said, well, I didn't expect to see you back for like a month. And I'm like, "Mm, well, you know, grandma, farmer. So then he told us this story about how in Malaysia, uh, all of the family gets together and the mother is kind of sequestered for about a month to recuperate and she has all this help people cooking helping take care of the baby for a month (laughs) while she recuperates anyways there was one semester that I tried five classes and my uh my social psych class was the one that suffered and I was in class every day I had to be I couldn't miss classes because if I did I really wouldn't know what was going on Um, My study time was a little less because, you know, I left school and came home and got dinner for kids and, you know, looked after kids. Plus, I also needed sleep. So that was a big thing, too. I had to be in class. And I had I had started my first year, you know, always checking in on on tests and things. And why why did I get this mark? And during that particular class, so. I that was my my five class semester and I went the first time and I had about an 82 83 percent on the test and I said I didn't have time to study and I didn't I also worked part-time so you know I was like I didn't have time to study it'll get better right (laughs) next test same freaking mark I also didn't have time to study but I was like I can't say anything else I told her I didn't study for the first test to get the same mark on the second test, I kid you not, my third test was the same. And I was like, screw it. <laughs> like, there's nothing I can do about this. There's no way I'm getting that extra participation because I literally went to her and said, I didn't study and this is what I'm going to do in your class if I don't. I think that's also why it's so important that the support systems are there for women so that they can return to get 
an education if they want to. I know when I, when I was in hairdressing school, I was also working two part-time jobs. And I was lucky enough that my mother lived a 10-minute walk from my home and I could take my child over to my mom who was retired and she would take care of him during the day. But it was, you know, leave my house by 7.30, drop off the kid, go to school, be in school from 8.30 in the morning until 4.30, and then go to one of my two part-time jobs, one in a sandwich shop and the other in a, a dress shop, and then go pick up my son and go home and spend some time with him and fall into bed after studying and start it all over the next day. When you're, I think for women, especially when you're trying to balance uh, an education and regardless of whether you're taking it for your, your own curiosity or taking it for better employment, when you're trying to balance that with the requirements of family life and being a mother, and then in some sense, battling a government that doesn't think you deserve the supports you need in order to better yourself, that's a lot to have on your plate all it at is. once. And yeah, like I, I did the I did the five classes the one semester and I never did it again because you know I was lucky. I was lucky that I was in class every day. I was lucky that I remembered a lot. I was lucky that I enjoyed it enough that I retained it. But what about the next, what about the next class? What if it was, you know, something I, I really had to put time into? I was like, I can't, I can't afford to go through and, and fail classes, right? It's not only the, it's not only monetary cost, but it's also the time it would take. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that- And it doesn't look good on your transcript at the end no, either. No, it doesn't. <laughs> There's always that to consider. <laughs> But yeah, it makes it harder for, I think, for women when they're going back. And I, and I went through it before I made the final decision. And I said, could I do just a diploma, right? So I could get in and get out and get back to work. Um, and luckily, I worked, I worked at employment and immigration at the time. I was, I was a file clerk, so I only needed to know my alphabet stuff. But I worked <laughs> with career coaches. And so one of them spent some time with me, and she said, you know, she gave me this, this big, uh, this big pamphlet that, that was probably arm span. And she said, you know, you go like, just do this test. And so I went through and it, it asked you to, um, you know, mark everything that you would consider doing, even if, even if you aren't really going to do that. So I went through and I did that and she added it all up at the end or whatever. And she said, you didn't choose a single role that doesn't require four years of education. Okay, right, but that's all I needed. That's all I needed to say, okay, then I'm then that I'm going for the right thing. But but exactly that was absolutely a decision that that I was considering because could I get it done faster? Like, am I not just going to go to get to work? And as it turned out, you know, yes and no. But everything I loved about what I did is not the normal career path one would take for doing the, the, the or taking the courses to, that I did. So, you know, again, even with that, the return on investment, well, it's huge because I didn't do what I thought I should. <laughs> I thought that maybe with a criminology concentration, I need to end up in, you know, as an RCMP clerk. That would kill me. 
like on a regular basis, I, that I can't deal with people hurting one another on purpose, which is a lot of, you know, you, you get that there. No, no, God, that would be horrible. But I found it really interesting, right? I found the statistics interesting. I found learning about crime and why crime exists. And oh yeah, that was great. But yeah, if I would have used that to go into where I thought I should, I would be a very miserable, sad, <laughs> and angry person. So Bridget and Angie, given you've both been uh, going through this process, what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned? Well, uh, what would we call it? Extended learning? Let's call it extended learning. That sounds good. <laughs> what, what have you learned about the process? And what would you say uh, would be what women need most to be able to participate in that process more easily. Angie, let's start with you. What's the most important lesson you've learned and what specific supports do you think would help women who wanted to go back to school? Um, I think the biggest thing for me was just because this is the way things are done or this is the, this is the, the path that you're supposed to take or this is how things work, don't accept it as that. Take some time to think think outside the box. Like, um, instead of just, instead of, you know, waiting, say, till your master's degree or till your honors thesis to start doing research, go and talk to your profs and find a way around it or do it yourself. And then say, here, look, this is what I'm done. This is what I'm capable of. And, and don't be afraid to say, screw the rules, screw the system and just get it done. You know, if there's something that you don't like, just do it like forget about forget about how it's supposed to be done and just get it done just just do it however it works for you just do it that's and great can, it, it's right in your face there Angie that's really perfect it feels like you're really <laughs> we can see it go do it just do it but that's also a confidence that does come from returning to school when you're when you are a little bit older right is that you're like this is for me Right. And if, if I'm not getting out yeah. of this, what I want, well, I'm going to figure out a way to do that. Whereas, whereas, yeah, a lot of people, when they go right after high school, you're, you're so used to that more rigid setup. This is the way that things are. That's and it's too much something you have to get at, done and out of the way yeah. when you're young too. Yeah. And Bridget, what, what about for you? What's the most important uh, lesson you've learned in terms of the entire process. And what do you think the most valuable support would be for women who want to return to school? Yeah, and first I wanna say, of course, you don't do things conventionally when you're um, a woman going back to school because you're not a conventional student, right? Why right. would you do it the conventional way? <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me has been um, that uh, reaching out to those mentors and those supporters through my degree. Um, like I think about in my undergraduate degree, um, there was one of my profs, um, who just, I really connected with, she was incredibly supportive. She ended up being my fourth year, um, advisor for my, um, cause it's an applied degree. You have a director workplace learning component. She ended up being my advisor during my program. 
Um, she became a mentor afterwards. She wrote my one of my letters of reference for my master's degree. And now, because we're both in the same field now um, as researchers, um, she comes to see my presentations at academic conferences if we're both there. Like she's, she continues to support me, right? And I, I mean, it's been 14 years since I completed my undergraduate degree and she still is there as a friend along the way, right? And even now, like my, um, my PhD supervisor, um, people probably heard it, Carla Peck is my my doctoral supervisor. She's okay. <laughs> she is a, a force of nature, and, but also um, she has this huge Nova Scotia heart, right? Like she's just got that that real warmth and care. And um, she's one of my favorite people to watch on Twitter. She is. She is. She's um, awesome. Yeah, and she is just as amazing. Like in person, she is just as remarkable and incredibly caring, right? And so she both. And I think the thing for me is that there are women who both care about me, but also have pushed me to be the absolute sort of best person. And, and even outside of, you know, formal academic relationships, there are other women who've been, you know, when I was trying to come back from my leave of absence in my master's degree, there was a woman I worked with. She was, um, she was a, a more senior person in my, the office I was in. Um, and she, um, she had she had taken a little bit of extra time doing her masters too, and she had just finished and she finished and convocated just as I was there, and just her encouragement of yeah no you can still you can do this right you can you can come back after a break you can get it done like that really matters, just having other women who have been really successful in that academic life who can be, both you know cheerleaders but also who can who can kind of call you to do your absolute best really matters right because you need more than just people who think you're great you also need people who are going to push you to be as great as you can be because um, when one of us shines all of us shine that's going to have to be that's going to have to be Kathleen's tagline it's it's come out a couple times now thank you Moira Rose yes. the other thing is is just people who bring you food are the best people ever <laughs> people who like bring you um a meal they've cooked or who come over to just help with those like little things you know like mm -hmm. it really matters and I think especially even for the women I know who are trying to do this while parenting even more so but um just those people who take some of those everyday stresses off who just kind of lighten those loads so that you can focus on the work are so important right whoever those friends are the people in your life are like when I was a kid doing it for my mom right like mm -hmm. it just taking those day-to-day -day pieces of the load off somebody really, really helps. And I, I think we can do that on a personal level, but again, I'll be just say that, like, I also think that, you know, putting more of those supports into place and you kind of noted, noted this earlier, Kathleen, right. Is that having um, the supports that allow women to, to do those things, right. Not clawing back women's access to, to, you know, child's, child benefits or different things when they choose to go to school, right? Affordable daycare would be great too. Yeah, child care, right? Um, housing supports, all of those things and not climbing yeah. back when somebody decides to be a student because I know some of those programs are not accessible if you're in full-time school that's and true, that's a yeah. problem. That's very true. It's a little bit of not only ask for help, but remember to return that help when you get to that position of, we're finally done and now we get to focus on something else, but don't forget that there's still other people maybe that are going through those same things that you went yeah. through and need that little extra push. 
Oh, and I think when we build it in each other, when we're supportive of each other, especially as women, we're we're exponentially spreading it, if you will. <laughs> the good exponential spread. This is the good virus. <laughs> we're spreading it exponentially because every time we step up to support another woman, we're encouraging her to support the next person. There's a great, uh, do we say GIF or GIF on this show? Have we ever made that decision? What is this? Topic? We have not, but I'm going to go with GIF. I'm I going with GIF, GIF too, because I hate GIF. That's <laughs> peanut butter. That's, that's, uh, there's a great GIF that is just a series of uh, animated women pulling each other up, mm. one after the other, reaching down, pulling each other up. And I like to think of it that way when we engage in supporting each other within our our community, our specific women community, we're encouraging that on a go forward basis. It's much as Angie spoke about, you know, that her family history, her community history doesn't really lend itself well to supporting women who seek post-secondary education. But now Angie's done it. Now Angie has kind of been the breakout in that cycle, right? Who will that encourage in that community? Who will that encourage in her family or amongst her social group? I think that's a very important part of an important part of of showing support for women is spreading the support once we've received it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I remember I was having I was taking five classes, I was working two jobs, I was beyond stressed out, it was finals week, and I was sitting there, you know, bawling in the lab going, you know, what kind of an idiot am I? Like who <laughs> does this to themselves? <laughs> And, you know, when my prof come in, he's like, you know what? He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, forget all of that other stuff. This is what you're good at. Just focus on what you're good at. And, you know, to, to hear, to have somebody tell you, look, you're really good at this. And while you think you're totally crazy at the moment, you know, it's because this other stuff is making you crazy that doesn't matter. And just to have somebody kind of get you centered and kind of ground you and, and, you know, kind of give you a sense of reality because you get so pushed and so focused and so driven to succeed that you forget where you're at. You forget what you've done and you need somebody to say, Hey, look, this is what you've managed. Like stop being so hard on yourself, forget this other stuff and just do that. I I think women need to know they're not crazy. Amen. (laughs) Amen. <laughs> 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 <laughs>